0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. When Pastor Asher and Reverend Brown graciously invited me to bring the charge to the church, I felt honored, of course, but also a bit awkward, because when I thought of charging the church to be a blessing to her pastoral leadership. I felt that you were already doing such a great job already that I felt it would be like preaching to the choir. But I figured the choir needs preaching to too. And we all need to be exhorted and encouraged in the good things of God, so we'll proceed. The one question I'd like to answer in these few moments is, how can we strengthen Kevin's hands for God's good work? How can we strengthen Kevin's hands for God's good work and hold them up for the battle as Aaron and Her did for Moses? And I'm not sure I'll have time to develop all these points, but let me at least share them with you. Revere Kevin's calling. Recompense Kevin's labors. Respect Kevin's time alone in the word and on his knees. Respond to Kevin's messages. Renounce negative criticism against Kevin. Refresh Kevin's heart with words of encouragement. And remember Kevin and his family in prayer believing. I'm in a little bit of trouble, but I can't use it as an excuse. I was going to go by the pulpit clock, but I noticed it stopped, but then I saw a clock up there. This dumb watch, if I put it on the pulpit, I can't hold it upright, and then it's hard to see, but I'll, I'll try to go by that back there. I thought I had an excuse there for a second, Pastor Asher. <laughs> no matter how much time a pastor gives me, and I've been given a lot of time, but uh, I feel like the Egyptian mommy pressed for time, but I uh, better not go by this clock. <laughs> First of all, revere Kevin's calling. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. A number of years ago in America, a pastor was sometimes called Parson. You remember that song, Winter Wonderland? In the meadow, we will build a snowman and pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll say, Are you married? And we'll say, No man, but you could do the job while you're in town. The word Parson comes from the English word person, and it means the personage. There was a time in America where the pastor was respected as the person and the moral and spiritual leader of the community. I was attending a meeting where a Christian lawyer was talking to pastors and lay leaders about whether they should incorporate as a church back in the 90s. And uh, I still remember what that Christian lawyer said. He said, if we were living back in 1900, we wouldn't be meeting because back then, nobody would have ever thought of breaking into a church or trying to sue it. We have become so terribly secularized in America And when I see what's happening in higher education, I feel that higher education has been badly lowered. Men ever learning, and I'm not even sure about that, and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. 106 out of the first 108 colleges and universities in America were founded for the purpose of Christian education. And their primary goal was to train people for church and mission ministry. The very first, Harvard was founded in 1936 and its motto was for Christ and the church and its express purpose according to its charter was to train well qualified Puritan ministers that according to its charter would be able to serve the Puritan church as well when the ministers who came over from England would be lying in the dust. Harvard is a far cry from that today. In the early years of American education, the number one field that people went into when they graduated was the pastorate and missions. In fact, as late as 1861, 25% of all college graduates in America went into the pastorate or into the mission field. But when they did a survey in 1980, only 0.6% of matriculating freshmen even named clergy as why they were going to school. And I would say to you in the words of scripture, how are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? How is the gold become dim? We need to honor the ministerial calling and honor men who answer it. Years ago, the Standard Oil Company wanted to set up operations in Indonesia. And they heard about a veteran missionary who knew the country well and they thought he would be a great representative. And they said, name your salary, nothing will be too much. We want you to serve in this capacity. And they named a large salary, but he refused. And they said to him, well, if that's not enough, just tell us how much it'll be. And the missionary said, the salary's big enough, but the job isn't big enough. We need to remember, as we support Kevin, that the greatest work in the world is the work of the Lord. We need to revere his calling. We also need to recompense Kevin's labors. First Timothy 5:17 and 18 says that uh, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, "Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward." In other words, honor involves honorarium. And we don't want to be saying amen to prayers like that of a dear old deacon years ago who said, Lord, send us a young man who's humble and poor. We'll keep him humble, Lord, and you keep him poor. There are too many church members across our state who believe that their pastor works only one day a week. And on that day, too long. (laughs) But Paul said, know them who labor among you. The ministry is hard work of the best kind. First Timothy 3.1 says this is a true saying, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And the pastorate is a good work, but never forget, it's work. <laughs> a third consideration, respect Kevin's time alone in the word and on his knees we were talking at the council about one of the important functions of the deacons among many is to free the pastor up so he can give himself to prayer and to the ministry of the word I think too often in independent Baptist circles and I think this was even more of a problem back in the 60s and 70s but I don't think we're over it yet I think that the average independent Baptist thought that the pastorate was a cross between a supersonic salesman and a wheel and deal in corporation CEO. Attract a lot of people, do all kinds of things, build something of an empire. Get talented people in, to forward the program, if they do, great, if not there's the door and uh, we'll find somebody better to replace them with. Not a lot of emphasis on pastoral nurture but all kinds of empire building and which pastor could outdo the other. Uh, Not wanting to judge hearts, but it seemed like there was too much carnal competition. And uh, I don't believe that's the biblical concept of a pastor. I believe there's an emphasis on getting alone with God and uh, then being able to minister the things of God to people publicly and privately. Jeremiah 315 tells us what God's idea of a pastor is. And I will give them pastors according to mine own heart who shall feed them with knowledge and understanding. I believe that's a pastor after God's own heart. I believe that that's what churches should be looking for in a pastor. Now I'm aware of the context in Genesis 315. It's millennial. The word pastor, shepherd, is broader than a New Testament local pastor. It's referring to all who will rule under King Messiah in the millennium and exercise pastoral stewardship to people. But I think it can certainly be applied to a New Testament pastor. And what is a pastor according to God's own heart? One who feeds God's people with knowledge and understanding. I think in Ezra 7.10, A pastor or a Christian worker has a great threefold outline for his life. And that threefold outline is study, practice, and teach. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, study, and to do it, practice, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments, teach. Another way I think you can encourage Kevin is to respond to his messages. We read in Acts 17.11 that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Paul praises God in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Why? He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, But as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's a big encouragement to pastors when the word of God is received aright. (laughs) In fact, James 1, 21 and 22 tells us how to listen to a sermon. It tells us what to do before the sermon. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. It tells us what to do during the sermon. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And it tells us what to do after the sermon. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Another thing that I think would encourage Kevin is, renounce negative criticism against Kevin. First Timothy 5.19, against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Unless a congregant is quite spiritual, it's natural when somebody preaches hard and points out things in your life that need to be corrected your defense mechanisms are triggered and you want to attack the messenger if you're not careful. The old Puritan commentator John Trapp says, truth hath always a scratched face. And it's going to be natural sometimes in the ministry and in dealing with so many people and so many things coming up to be naturally critical. And it can really discourage a pastor. Moses spoke to God mouth to mouth. No prophet rose up like unto him. God used them to part the Red Sea. And yet this great man, when the people murmured about the manna in Numbers 11, was so discouraged, he said, Oh God, if I found favor in thy sight... I pray thee, take my life, lest I behold mine own wretchedness. Oh, discouragement could really weigh a pastor down, and don't be part of that. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For if they report back to God with grief in terms of how you're responding to their ministry, You might think that you're putting pressure on them or maybe even forcing them out of the church. But God says that is not unprofitable for them. It's unprofitable for you. If a man of God has to give a report to God like that about how you're responding to the stewardship of his ministry. And that same book of Hebrews tells us it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Another thing is refresh Kevin's heart with words of encouragement. Like Paul does with Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 about if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Neglect not the gift that's in thee. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. If you may allow just a personal moment, I had the privilege of teaching on the Bible faculty at Piedmont Bible College at Winston-Salem back in the 80s. And there was a fine student there. His first name was Bruce. Well, after this fine young man graduated, years went by, and I heard that there was a place literally out in the sticks, just hardly any civilization around. And Brother Bruce went out there, and by God's grace, he built a great church. Hundreds and hundreds of people, a wonderful ministry. In the 90s, as I was pastoring in North Carolina, one of our dear members was visiting in the area and went to Bruce's church and was excited. And I knew Bruce was an able young man and uh, God was using him. But this encouraged me. And by the way, the work he was doing there was 10 times greater than anything I could have done if I had gone there, and I knew that. But we help each other, don't we? And my friend Eric came back and he told me this. He said, Bruce told me that one day he was walking down the hallway at Piedmont Bible College, and he was so dejected, he was thinking of dropping out of school. And you said hi to him, and talked with him some, and encouraged him, and he said that was the difference in allowing him to remain in school. And eventually, I think, also go on and do the job he did. You never know how far a word will go. You never know what an encouragement will mean. Mark Twain said, I can go a whole two months on one kind word and encourage Kevin. And then lastly, remember Kevin and his family in prayer believing. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5:25, brethren pray for us. Some are hurt so easily, others you don't know what they're thinking. Some barely speak to you, others are ready to bite your head off. Some have no sense of humor, others take kidding too far. Some have no time for you, others want all your time. No wonder Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, be patient toward all men. And if that's true of laity, it's even more true of leadership. And so Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2.24-25 and says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, not to teach patience in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And Kevin's going to be interacting with all kinds of people in all kinds of situations, and he and his family need you to pray that God will give them grace and wisdom. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified.